What's going on, guys? This is Dan Wynn. And Mike Glassby. And welcome to the Military Cash Flow. Today, we're going to be talking with Craig, and he's going to be telling us the secrets to successfully transitioning out of the military. And he's going to cover it all, guys. We're going to cover the top four tips that he gives to any transitioning military member. We're also going to talk about how you can treat your finances like a patient and why he values, most importantly, relationships. So let's get to it. Hey, really quick, if you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, hit that notification bell, um, leave us a comment below. Um, lastly, the uh, Facebook group is growing. It's doing very, very well. And we have a lot of people in there, a lot of service members in there, um, engaging in conversation, networking, helping each other build and grow wealth through real estate. So make sure you go ahead and join the group and uh, get in the conversation, network and take action. Hey, how's it going? This is Dan Wynn and Mike Glassby, and this is the Military Cash Flow Podcast, where we teach service members how to build wealth and create passive cash flow through real estate. We cover real deals, real numbers, and real lessons learned from other successful investors. Now, whether you're watching this on YouTube or you're listening on the podcast, we need you to like, share, and subscribe. Now, let's get started creating this military cash flow. What's going on, guys? This is Dan Wynn. And Mike Glassby. And welcome to the Military Cash Flow. Today, we have a very special guest. His name is Craig Corman's house. And uh, he's going to be coming on talking about uh, some personal finances, personal finance journey, and how he was able to build a stable financial, uh, financial foundation and how that related to the different asset types that he invests in. So with that, Craig, can you please give us, a, give us an introduction of yourself? What are you doing? Where are you at? You know, um, just give us a rundown, please. Absolutely. Well, appreciate you guys having me. As you said, my name is Craig Corman's house, and I'm coming from uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, where I have been comfortably seated in this seat where you see me for probably the last eight weeks or so now, as I'm sure many of us have been working from home. Um, I'm in a fortunate position to be able to work from home right now throughout this um, pandemic. But we're here today to talk about the military transition and my experience and kind of um, how I got to where I am today. So right now I am currently a strategy consultant for a Fortune 100 company. I work in um, the banking world when I was in the army. So I um, commissioned in 2008 as an army officer. I was in army aviation. So I flew Blackhawks um, and served in a few different staff roles um, in the aviation branch for about seven years and transitioned out at the uh, beginning of 2015 um, where I went into management consulting for about four years, um, really kind of drink from, drink from the fire hose when you're working in consulting, especially hopping into the civilian world, but learned a bunch and um, certainly worked with a lot of good veterans that, that helped share their knowledge and experience with me. Um, so hopefully today is an opportunity to pass that on um, to your audience. And um, you know, certainly after this call, if anyone's watching and wants to reach out to me, I'm always happy to have a chat around transition and help to work through any of the specifics or questions you might have. Awesome. That's awesome, man. That's a lot of success after success after success, you know, commissioning as an, as an officer, obviously that's a feat within itself, but then you're a pilot too. And then you move over into a very uh, competitive corporate environment within consulting. So kudos to you. And let's talk about what that actually looked like. So coming from the military, a couple different staff positions, obviously as a pilot, and then that transition out. Yeah. What did that transition look like for you? Well, I'll tell you what it looked like. I was sitting in Kuwait in a 100-degree building 
do, just doing my job in the summer of 2014 when the one-star general called me into his office and I got a letter that's saying I would no longer be part of the U.S. Army in about six months. Um, as many folks may know, the, the Army goes through these times where they have to cut a bunch of people out and there's a thing called an officer separation board that happened in 2014. Um, and I was one of the fortunate or unfortunate members that was a part of that. Um, so my transition plans were um, expedited, so to speak. I was always on the fence of how long I was going to stay in the military and whether that was going to be a career option for me. But the decision was made for, for me in that regard. Um, so I really had to take a lot of these big questions that we try to um, contemplate in terms of um, staying in. If I were to get out, what would I do? And, and try to just, I really didn't have a lot of time to ponder on those. Um, so it was a matter of focusing on the things I could control, um, what could be potential opportunities for me, and then just seeing what the market gave back to me. Um, so the way I went about that, um, you know, with the news that, Hey, you know, in a few months, I got to get back home. I got to figure out what my next job is going to be. Um, and I got to figure out how to, you know, take this next step in my career. I chose to partner with, um, they, some folks call them headhunters, military recruiters, what have you. Um, there's a number of them out there. Um, and despite the opinions that you may hear, I think they do a great service to transitioning veterans and helping to land them at least at a, at a kind of a foothold, as we would say it in the tactical term, right? You establish a foothold in the civilian world, and then from there you can build upon it. Um, so what I did was I went, I worked with this recruiter to um, kind of, they helped to polish you up and get a resume together and um, bring you really to a career conference where you go through this round robin style of interviews um, with a lot of different companies, many of whom you have really no knowledge or interest in. You're just um, there to get the practice and exposure. Um, and I was, at first it was really daunting, this whole concept of interview, because I thought that I hadn't done an interview before in my life, because no one really called it that in the military, right? Like you just show up, here's your next position, you know, figure it out, do good work. Um, but in reality, in a sense, I had been doing interviews all along with the people that I met, the bosses that I worked for. Um, because every one of those is an impression that builds an opinion of what people think about you. Um, and where I went wrong in that regard initially was um, I was very robotic in the interview. And I'm almost guilty of it now. You can't see it, but I got a page of notes here to my right of things that I wrote down because I like to gather my thoughts that way. So when I was asked a question like, tell me about yourself, it was like this pre-canned answer that I'd memorized like the aviator that I was and ran through like a checklist. And when I did that, it starts to disengage the other person because it's like, oh, this guy sounds like a robotic military guy. Um, and I got some feedback in the midst of that interview process. I said, hey, lighten up, man. Just be yourself. Um, and my wife even told me that when I was practicing interviews. And of course, she always says, I have to hear it from somebody else, even if it's the same thing. And then it'll finally sink in. But it was true. Um, then I realized, hey, man, these are just conversations. Just talk about your experience in a way that other people can understand. Um, and the odds are stacked in your favor with all these interviews. So if you went well, if you didn't, um, you know, had some follow-up interviews and I ended up at a, um, at a firm, a management consulting firm through that process. And um, that's how I got my first job offer. So I'll, uh, I'll pause there, but that's kind of in a nutshell, the experience from finding out, hey, I need to, you know, figure out what the next step's gonna be right. to actually kind of landing that first position. 
All right, so we're going to go ahead and take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Hey, make sure you go leave a five-star review on the podcast, and then also go check out militarycashflow.com to get access to all the products we have. We have a bunch of great stuff on the website to include um, access to the Facebook group, access to a military cash flow calculator so you can analyze your deals. We have uh, courses. We have all of our social media. We just have a bunch of stuff on there, so go check that out, and with that, Here's a word from our sponsors. Just, just one quick, quick question. Why not fly helicopters as a civilian? I always get that question. Okay, all right. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's a fair one. So when you, um, so the airline industry and the, the pilot industry is a little different now than it was in 2014. In terms of there are pipelines uh, now, like the rotor transition program and other things that help to source pilots from the military into these commercial pilot jobs um, and to groom them. However, um, at the time, again, going back to the condensed timeline thing and figuring out what the options were, I didn't have the hours. So I had about 600 hours of time total. Um, most airlines are looking for 2000 and up to even be like in an entry level position. Wow. So if you figure what an 03 makes with six, seven years in the army, I was basically going to have to take a pay cut in half to be like an instructor pilot trying to like have student pilots not kill me all day to build my hours to then work my way up the ladder into aviation. And that just didn't really appeal to me. Um, also, another piece of advice that I got um, while I was transitioning was um, never make a hobby your job in terms of like don't ruin a good hobby by doing it for work. Mm -hmm. And I thought back to like being deployed and everything. And while there's a lot of good memories and fond memories of flying, there were times when it was just a grind, um, you know, and while flying is fun when you're doing it 12 hours a day, day in and day out, it becomes a job. Um, so you know, if I take the fun out of everything, well, yeah, <laughs> this is a known fact. Yeah, that's, that's crazy, man. I would have thought you would have went civilian as well. Went to, uh, went to be a pilot. I didn't think there was, um, that high of uh, flying hours that you needed in order to in order to do that. that's crazy okay hey but i got a quick question going back to uh the first section yeah. that you kind of talked about right so um so you started off you you know you got the call pretty much out of nowhere you're gonna have to transition you know, you're gonna have to transition you're gonna have to you know start you know start looking for jobs um what were you what were you kind of thinking during that process like how did how did Cause there's a lot of soldiers that are going through that, that potentially go through the same exact thing, right? Where they, you know, they, something happens in their military career and it's just like, you know, something they weren't expecting. Hey, you got to get out in six months. Hey, you got to get out in five months, something like that. Can you speak to those soldiers? Like what, uh, kind of what, what your mind was going through, kind of what kept you going in and, and, and how you, how you mentally went through that, you know? Yeah. Well, I would start with, you don't know what you don't know. Um, if I were to think back, and in picture what I envisioned for myself at that point in time and what I would be and what I could work in, it's nothing like what I'm doing now. Um, and that's only because I didn't know what I didn't know. I came from the, you know, my background had been in army aviation. I knew um, about aviation stuff and piloting and airframes and, and all that stuff. And I, I had a mechanical engineering background um, from West Point. So I, I figured, I put those pieces of the puzzle together and I said, well, to me, this equals project management at a company like a Boeing or United Technologies. Um, that's just 
that seemed logical to me. So I went through like the um, Soldier for Life program and they help you with transition stuff and make you apply to some jobs. I applied for a project management job at Sikorsky. I got declined. Um, and I remember when I interviewed for the job that I ended up taking in consulting specifically for financial services clients and I left that interview and it went well and I remember talking to another veteran I was on the cab with going to the airport and I said, you know, I never imagined that I could even be remotely able to join the, the banking industry or financial services. That like just didn't compute to me. To me, it was like aviation, I'm going to go to aviation. Um, what I didn't see and why I said um, you don't know what you don't know at the beginning was the wide range of applicability and the skill set that I had that only needed to be fine-tuned um, to a specific role or a specific industry. Um, and a great nugget of advice I got was actually during those interviews for consulting when I sat down with the partner that was making the hiring decisions. And he said, listen, man, I can teach you all this stuff about banking and all that. What I'm here to talk to you about and what you're really being evaluated against is those intangibles, the things I can't teach, the work ethic, you know, right place, right time, right uniform. You hear that all the time. Mm -hmm. Surprisingly enough, you can get that right and be willing to ask questions and learn like sky's the limit. You'll pick up the rest of the stuff as you go on the job. I love that, man. So many veterans are you know, fearful of that transition. They feel like they don't have enough skills. They feel like they don't have enough knowledge. But more importantly, just as you said, most veterans have discipline, right? They understand the concept of being at the right place, right uniform. And if you really think about it, nobody joined the military knowing what the hell they were doing. Yeah. They went to basic training. Then they went to or whatever, AIT or their branch, whatever. But even then they got to their unit and they didn't know what the hell they were doing, right? So, so even then they had to learn on the job. It's the same thing when looking at a, you know, at another opportunity, right? Yeah. That's a secret to successfully transition. Yep. That's like a perfect segue into this. So let's talk about some of those secrets, those uh, secrets to transitioning out, right? Yeah. Um, what, what did you do that set you apart? And, and, and we're going to start talking a little bit about, you know, the finance, setting yourself up uh, correctly, as far as your financial foundation, getting your, getting the whole financial literacy thing uh, down packed as well. But what, what are some of the things that, that really helped, um, really helped you make that smooth transition? Yeah. Um, well, I liken a lot of the lessons I learned to the mentors and, and folks that I had in my circle along the way. Um, Cause I certainly didn't walk in to my first week or day on the job as a civilian and, and feel confident or even really comfortable. Like this was an, a new, a new deal. Um, but you know, the thing that wasn't new to me is being uncomfortable or being kind of out of my, my element um, because of that military experience. Um, so I, I trusted in those abilities to start with. Um, like I have these, uh, I keep them on my wall. There are Arnold's six rules for success. I don't know if you ever heard Arnold Schwarzenegger's speech on that. The first rule on that list is trust yourself. Um, so I think that was forefront in my mind was just to trust myself that I had, um, you know, enough experience and they, these guys hired me for a reason. Um, and so that kind of at least helped me get across the threshold. And initially kind of during those first couple months of my civilian job, I felt like I was behind the power curve. Like my peers were ahead of me. They had been in the business world since undergrad or gotten MBAs. And here I was just this guy fresh out of water from the military. Um, you know, didn't know my 
I'll leave that metaphor out. Yep. But, um, you know, so, but and then all of a sudden, about probably six to eight months in, I was sitting down with a one-on-one -on -one with my manager and we started to get a little bit, and I started opening up a little bit about my background and my military experience and things like that. And she's like, you should share that more. And I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, that's part of who you are. That's part of your strength. And that what that brings like diversity of thought and to the table. And that like, that's why you're here. I think that's important. And I hadn't thought of it from that perspective. I, I looked at it as a handicap, like a liability more than an asset, right? To bring it to the financial kind of reference there. Um, but it really was an asset. And that's what I try to communicate to other veterans now is, is you have assets um, and it's really up to us as veterans um, to help each other communicate those in a way that can be understood by our, our non-veteran counterparts. Um, so I think those two things were two really valuable nuggets to trust yourself first. Um, and then, you know, being able to, to tell your own personal value story in a way that can be um, understood by others and doesn't come, like we could all use as veterans a little coaching to smooth out the rough edges when it comes to some things. Oh yeah. Um, you know, cause it's just a different world and the civilian side, you know, you can't be throwing F bombs and using <laughs> all sorts of acronyms. Like that's going to flip people's attention switches off. Um, but a little bit of polish there, you know, be able to articulate who you are and trust in those abilities. And, you know, I think the rest of the stuff starts to come into play over time. I love it. I love it. And it's so funny you say that because we love our acronyms. Oh, we love our acronyms in the military. But when you get there, tell me this, does the, for, does the financial service industry have their own set of acronyms? Yes. Every company does. Every, I think every, every company, every industry, the military is included, has their own kind of little pseudo language. Yeah. The longer you're in it, the better you speak it and understand it. Um, but again, going back to the applicability of the military skill set. Um, we've come to a new MOS or a new unit and there's new acronyms that sound unfamiliar, but then we start asking a couple questions and then it's almost like, um, there's an opening scene to a movie. I can't think of it right now, but the movie starts in a foreign language. And then after the first couple seconds, it transitions into English and you could finally hear what's going on. It's like that. And at first it's a foreign language. I don't know what these acronyms are. And then over time you're starting to realize like, huh, okay. And a technique I use for that, that I still apply to this day is I keep a note page, whether that's in my green book or in my, my notes on my computer. Um, and I, it's a learning page. And whenever I'm on a call or in a meeting and I hear something, I don't know what that is. I write it down. Write it down. Smart. I think you're talking about the 13th warrior with Antonio Banderas when they're sitting around a fire. I think that was the movie. <laughs> Transitions in the beginning and yeah. they're all in English and that's how they get away with talking English all the time. Yep. 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 That was a good movie. And you know, what's, what's even funnier about like the military is how literally you guys are all, we're all wearing the same uniform, but one MOS will have a completely different set of acronyms, but they expect everybody else to know it. It's like, yep. no, like, I don't know what you're talking yeah. about. Exactly. <laughs> I definitely understand that one, man. Definitely understand that. Uh, especially going from, uh, I went from infantry to finance. <laughs> and I still don't know what the hell I'm talking about. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I definitely understand that piece. But hey, so um, transitioning over into the, you know, you, you have a lot of um, working in the banking industry. You have a lot of just good, sound financial advice, right? especially for speaking to some soldiers out there that are trying to, our, our, show is about, our show is about military cash flow, right? We mainly talk about real estate, 
But in order to get to that level and to invest in other types of assets, the most important thing is having your, your financial foundation straight, right? So can you speak to that? Like, can you speak to that and, and just kind of give us some, give us some tips for our, give, give our yeah. listeners some, uh, some advice, please. Absolutely. Um, so when it comes to cash flow, we all have a cash flow, whether we know it or not, whether we realize it, there's money coming in, money coming out. Um, and I think with any plan to know where we're going, we got to know where we're at. Right. Um, and that starts with, for me, um, I can relate it back to Vicki Robbins book, your money or your life. She talks about, um, inventorying your financial life, understanding all of your expenses down to the penny, track those things. There's a number of different softwares out there that'll do it for you. Um, but getting a grip on where we are right now and kind of ruthlessly facing those truths and not avoiding them. Cause I think that's a big, that's the hardest hurdle to start with. It's just facing the facts. Um, you know, it's easier just to kind of let it slide, check the account balance. All right, there's enough in there. I can afford that. I, that's a phrase that like I try to avoid using entirely, but that's kind of the, the pitfall that we fall into is, is facing the hard facts about our financial lives um, and taking stock of those things. For my situation, um, as, a, as a new lieutenant in the army, I can still remember the kind of giddy feeling I got when I was commissioned and I got like my first paycheck and I was like, oh, they're paying me for doing that. Like, I had gone through four years of the academy and all this military stuff. And you don't really get uh, a, a true paycheck in a sense until you, you get into the active um, army life. Um, and my mentality, so I wasn't really brought up with a whole lot of financial acumen or good money management habits. Um, so it was if I have money, I'm spending money. And whatever I have essentially equates to what I can spend. And what all that resulted in is and I've tracked my net worth all the way back to the date I commissioned, um, is a, a net worth curve that was flat. Um, as soon as I got money, it was gone. For me, where that changed um, was the getting deployed to Afghanistan. It's almost like a forcing function for reducing expenses and increasing income because you don't really have anything to spend money on, although I've had soldiers that have found ways. Um, and you're in a brand goes, new car. I'm six, I'm four months into deployment. I just got a brand new car back in the States. My <laughs> wife bought it for me. She bought us two. You know? like, yeah. That's one way I had one guy spending all of his money on online gaming, staying oh, up wow. all night. His wife had to cut up his credit card. So don't be doing that. If you're looking to use a deployment as a way to build your, your finances. Um, but what ended up happening is through the course of that year, you know, focused on deployment stuff and all that, comes with it was um, I'm readily transferring money into my savings account every time I get paid. So um, I bank with USAA from the military connection, all that stuff. I called them up. They sat me down. They helped me put together a plan. And the couple things I gleaned from that plan was she took a look at everything that my, she did the inventory for me that I talked about earlier and said, Hey, um, I think this is how much you should have in your emergency savings, three to six months of expenses. Here's your target. And it was just like a military scenario, right? Like here's your mission, keep this in savings, save this amount every month. And I took my mission and I said, okay, I can do that. Um, and really the next light bulb moment was within a year after coming back, a friend of mine had given me a copy of rich dad, poor dad. Mm. Um, 
I noticed in some of your earlier stories that that book is also a part of, of y'all's story. And this notion of pay yourself first was an enlightening concept for me. So that previous kind of idea before that deployment, paycheck to paycheck, thinking that if I have money, I can spend money was no longer the case. It was like, let me treat my savings like it's a bill, the most important bill that I have. Yep. Um, and I set a target for myself. I put an auto transfer. I determine how much that's going to be. And I don't touch that. It's like the, it's like the most important thing and everything else gets paid afterwards. And I figure it out. And if there's stuff left after that, it can go to discretionary spending, but it's built into the machine that I'm trying to run. Um, and like my whole mantra for all this is consistency over time. Mm -hmm. If you can stay consistent and do it over time, that will work wonders. And I think that was the very basics of the foundation and the mindset shifts that started the change where I, I think I started to wake up from the matrix of consumerism mm -hmm. and, you know, you know, want things, buy things, get happiness, that equation that's not real, um, started the chain. And, and this happened like a deployment. So you were still in when, yes. when the mind started to shift. And how, how impactful was having that foundation, having that mindset when all of a sudden you were told, hey, you're gonna have to leave the military in the next six to seven months? Well, it was, it was well, certainly comforting because that, that notice didn't mean that even if I failed miserably, didn't find a job. And I had to kind of go back to the drawing board and I was still out of the service. I still had enough of a cushion to live for a while to find, to find the next thing. Um, and so that takes so much pressure off the decision that I think we're able to think more clearly and make better decisions and not have to take the only available option because I have to keep the lights on, but I can take the better option and be patient. Um, and all of that started so that the scenario I described in my deployment was probably four years before I actually had to get out. Um, so I had four years of prep time leading up to that, that breaking news um, that really helped to, I think, do what you know, we all set out to do when we're trying to build wealth and to um, you know, build up our, our, our financial well-being is to have options and to be able to choose the best thing that's for me and not be forced into a decision that I don't necessarily want, but I have to do because I have no other choice. Options. You got to have options because so many times, uh, you know, first off, veterans are fearful of getting out of the military because of the comfort zone. Got it. Then just as you mentioned, because they were not aware of where they were spending their money, now they're forced to take anything. Now they're in a panic mode. Hey, give me a job. Yep. Now you get a job that, you know, no disrespect, maybe at a department store or something, but it's just something that, that is just well beneath your capabilities because you didn't have that freedom. You didn't have that option. And ultimately, what, is, what does money do for us? It essentially buys back our time, our freedom, our option to spend it with family, to spend it with friends, you know, to, to do those things. So that, that within itself is a huge uh, like tip for, for transitioning members is make sure that your finances are in order. That's huge. Well, so, go ahead, Dan. So just to touch on that a little, a little bit, um, Mike, we, we recorded an episode like a while back and you wanted one of the key things that you mentioned was, hey, uh, most of America only has $5,000 worth of savings, right? That most of America doesn't even have $5,000 worth of savings. So 
Um, with that said, hey, if you're out there and you listen to this, and that's you know, and that that's you, you're not you don't you're not at that point yet where you have your six month savings or a couple months of savings yet. Um, I mean, that's one key thing that you can easily do. And Craig kind of touched on it, talking about USA. Most of us bank with USAA, and one little known thing about USA is they offer free financial free financial advisory services. Correct. And I'm assuming that's what you that's what you used, right? So, I mean, so, so that's, that's just one quick tip right there. I just wanted to double touch on that because it might have, might have, uh, you kind of mentioned it really, really quick, but that's one thing, that's one tool that you guys have at your disposal um, if you're banking with USA, which you likely are. And actually most banks offer that service now uh, where they can do simple financial, hey, let's, let's build your financial picture where you're at right now. Um, let, let's see where you are right now. And then we can tell you kind of, how you need to, where you need to be at least to build, to, to have your stable foundation. Um, I just want to touch on that quick note because I love that you, that you mentioned that there. So. Yeah. And I mean, for the audience, like if you're, if you're listening to this and you're, you know, an enlisted guy and you're just looking for a place to start from an officer perspective, having been in my seat, um, you know, reach out to whoever's in your unit and, and ask for that sort of help. Um, because I know for a fact that it is also available on military posts. Um, you know, if you, you know, reach out to your platoon sergeant, platoon leader, company commander, what, what have you, and say, you know, I would like some, some financial counseling in order to help kind of get my financial house in order and to set some goals. Um, that resource is, I, I guarantee, available uh, in most, if not all, military posts. Yeah, definitely true. Definitely true. So you were so saying... The, uh, oh, go, go ahead, Mike. Dan. Sorry. No, go ahead, Mike. So... Uh, I was just rewriting the tips here and just going over them. Tip one, trust yourself. Tip two, be able to explain your value in plain English or, you know, in, in, in layman's terms. And then tip three is give yourself essentially that financial cushion to allow you the options and the opportunity to search. Right. All right. Do you have any other, any other tips or suggestions that you would kind of classify for the transitioning member? Um, well, the thing I was going to add on to that last point about the cushion that I hear oftentimes in the military community is, well, um, what do I need to save all this money for if I'm just going to retire and get my retirement? Um, the, the simple answer to, to that question for me is risk management. You could be faced with my scenario, right, or, or one like it, the unexpected. Um, and we want to manage our risk and be prepared for things that might happen. Um, and like we've already hit on before, the more diligent we are in, in getting our financial house in order um, and having that savings and investing into um, certain assets that can help to build our wealth over time, the more options we're going to have um, and the, the better off we are gonna, we're going to be for it. Excellent. And all these tips, all the tips that we're giving out uh, right now that Craig's given out right now, like these are, these are sub steps to that step one of, buying your next investment or buying your assets. So like, you got to have this stuff down first, man. Like um, I, we've had several conversations with uh, people just in the group, mainly like in the Facebook group, a lot of people get on and say, Hey, you know, um, should I buy this house? Should I pay off my credit cards or should I buy this house and try to cash flow and things like that? Well, I mean, it's all, it's all a, ba a case by case individual basis, but in order to help to better help you, you've got to know your own financial situation. Like, where you're truly at, and and if you have that that nest egg set aside so you can take that risk, right? So I don't really typically advise people to to, to start investing if they if they're not if they're not stable, they don't have a certain amount of savings first, um, because I mean it 
it's all it's all a risk at the end of the day. Of course, it's a mitigated risk, one that you know you've prepared for, one that you've uh, you've done research on, you've, you've mitigated those those chances of you failing. But at the end of the day, it still is a risk. So just like uh, Craig said, risk risk mitigation, right? Um, this is this is the first step right here. This is the first step. Period. So. I actually got a question for you, Craig. This kind of some dance that kind of sparks something. I'm just curious to what your insight is. I know you're not giving any professional advice. This is your personal advice. Yes. Somebody has, you know, sixteen thousand in credit card debt, but they have twenty thousand in savings. Should they pay off their credit card debt or should they buy an investment? And just in your general, what is your thought process? I'm not saying yes or you don't have to give a blanket yes or no, but what is your thought process kind of behind that scenario? Credit card debt, hands down. Why, any, why do you say that? Yeah. Any any high interest. So I look at this like a medic would look at a patient, right? And triaging the the wounds by level of severity. High interest debt is the bleeding. You got to stop the bleeding first before you treat the other stuff. Um, and that's where like we are bleeding in our financial lives when we have those things and we carry those things, and we prevent any further progress from being made. Um, but the good thing is, if I'm a healthy patient, I'm not bleeding. I have those things in order. I use credit wisely. And what I mean by that is I use my credit card all the time. I use it every month for my variable expenses because it helps prevent fraud. Um, you know, if you have a fraud incident happen, you can get a credit card refund like that. It's a lot easier than with a debit card you're using cash. Um, it helps me kind of track it all in one spot and I pay it off every month, builds my credit. Um, and if I've got that in order, I can use my, my positive cash flow for my options, for my choices. If it's gonna be my retirement plans, um, and we can pull the thread on that if we want to a little bit. I think their retirement plans in the military are changing from a pension to a contribution-based system, mm -hmm. which requires discipline, which we're kind of talking about now. Um, or if I wanna get into investing in a brokerage account, um, whether that's index funds or trying my luck at individual stocks and getting to know companies, these different things like these are all the options that are um, kind of at your feet, but none of those are plausible unless um, we've got the, the bleeding stop in those kind of high, high interest rate consumer debt environments. I, I've never heard that saying before. Uh, when you look at your the financial situation like a triage patient, I love that high interest debt is the hemorrhaging. It's, it's yo, let's get a tourniquet on that ASAP, right? And um, obviously, if you're not bleeding, now you're good to go. I love it because it's, it's my same thought process as well. Um, but hopefully, that'll, that is a perfect way to kind of articulate it so people can understand when they start to have those debates. Hey, should I pay off this credit card debt or should I buy my first property? Get your financial house in order, plain and simple, before you're starting to really push out there. Um, and then you did mention you did mention the retirement plan. Now, I think this is kind of important because in the military, we use the thrift savings plan, right? If you guys aren't using the thrift savings plan or you don't know what it is, go talk to your finance officer and figure it out first. Not saying that you have to do it, but you should know what your options are. Now it is changing. Um, but without getting into the nuances of the thrift savings plan, did anything about that program provide value to you with, during your transition? Were you able to maybe roll the money over? Like what's kind of your, your strategy on that? Uh, be totally honest. I never used my thrift savings plan. It sounded weird to me. I didn't really know what it was. It was extra paperwork, never touched it. Yep. Um, what I did do though, and I liken this to probably one of the best financial decisions I ever made. Um, when you are a junior at West Point, you get what's called a cow loan, pre-commissioning loan. 
Um, it's how USAA kind of gets the West Point cadets started with a banking relationship. Um, and I got this loan. And again, the same logic, the simple enough logic that I had up with my deployment savings is I said, huh, I know I shouldn't just spend all this. That would be a poor decision. So the relationship I had at the time was my econ professor, economics professor. Mm -hmm. And I went and I used his office hours. I met with him. I said, sir, um, I don't know what I should do with this loan, um, but I am open to ideas. Here's my thinking. And I said, I need to get a car because I'm going to graduate soon. I need transportation. Um, I kind of want to spend a little bit because I'm 20 years old and that's what 20 year olds like to do. Um, but I also want to save some. What should I do with that? And so we went over it and he said, well, sat me down on the computer. He said, you should open up a Roth IRA. Um, so again, I was 20 years old, no idea what a Roth IRA was. I said, great. So we logged into Fidelity. He helped me set up an account and he said, uh, here, this, this mutual fund, pretty solid, well-balanced fund. Um, it's a Fidelity 4-in-1 index fund, uh, FFNOX, I believe, um, still in it today. And it's the best return I've ever gotten. Started that in 2007 and had it for 13 years. Haven't touched it. Um, and getting started on retirement savings early, although I didn't use the TSP, I had that Roth IRA, um, has been an exponential benefit to me looking back, starting that account at 20 years old, starting my retirement savings, even if, because I didn't contribute. I, I contributed that initial amount and I left it alone. And then the 2008 happened, the whole market crashed, it lost half of its value. And I said, investing is dumb. See, I should have just spent that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was turned off by the investing world entirely. But what I didn't do was I didn't pull the money out. I just left it alone. Um, and it all came back naturally. And then a few years later, I said, hey, I should probably get back to contributing to that thing again. And I did. And I've made it a regular habit ever since. And it's grown and grown and grown. Um, and but the one thing we could always make more money right we can't get time back we can't go back in time and say ah, i wish i had done that so i think when it comes to money um time is is on our side when we're young and it's our friend we can take risk um and but one thing we can't do is delay a decision and then as we get older we say i wish i could just go back and do that over again i would do so much more differently yeah hindsight's always twenty twenty, right but we don't get that second option, man. So, not, And I love your strategy of uh, essentially any extra money, right? So deployment money, pre-commission loan, bonuses for those guys who still get bonuses. I mean, there's, there's a lot of opportunities for you to get, in, in essence, free money or additional money that wasn't planned that you could quickly put to pay down debt or to invest. I love that. All right, so we're going to go ahead and take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Hey, make sure you go leave a five-star review on the podcast and then also go check out militarycashflow.com to get access to all the products we have. We have a bunch of great stuff on the website to include um, access to the Facebook group, access to a military cash flow calculator so you can analyze your deals. We have uh, courses. We have all of our social media. We just have a bunch of stuff on there, so go check that out, and with that, Here's a word from our sponsors. Yeah, and I can, I can speak to something on that for a minute that just reminded me of something. So I think um, lifestyle inflation is a real thing, right? I think the, the more money we make, the more we tend to spend, the more we adjust our lifestyle to what I am accustomed to, right? I like, I deserve these nice things. Um, 
It's a dangerous thing though. It's insidious. It creeps in very slowly and takes over our financial lives. Um, and one conscious choice that I've made in my transition and I've stuck with ever since is my wife and I live on the same monthly budget, more or less, that we spent when I was active duty in, in the army. Um, and our financial lives have evolved so much more since that point. We still live off the same amount. Um, it's because I realized that, you know, the, the extra stuff and the nicer things are not the, the key to, to my happiness, right? Gratitude is when what we have becomes enough. So realizing that, being grateful for what I have and being grateful that I have this opportunity to invest and grow, and grow my future and um, my family's future, that's where I find value now. Not the expensive, flashy car or nice new watch um, and all that stuff. I, I could care less about that. Um, Ramit Sethi likes to say, you know, spend lavishly on things that you value and cut mercilessly on things that you don't. And that's kind of my approach to these things. Yeah, lifestyle creep is a real thing, man. Keeping up with the Joneses and lifestyle creep, I think they kind of go hand in hand. Um, and that, that's great. I love that, uh, that concept. And I think um, most people, at least, um, at least most of the investors that I know, most of them aren't spending lavishly on, on crazy things. Most of them are, you know, living very, very uh, modest lifestyles, living below their means, right? Um, so that they can put more money into their assets, right? And I'm sure that's probably one of the main reasons why you're, why you're still maintaining that, that uh, same budget that you did back when you were, you were still active duty military, right? Um, I'm assuming it's because you want to live below your means, take, take that extra money and put it into more assets, things that are going to continue to create more money, again, risk mitigation, and obviously just building wealth, right? But I'm constantly asking myself that the question of does it add value to my life? Um, I, I use personal capital. Um, it's just a software that I like to yeah, track. I do too. Good stuff, yeah. One spot, right? And my wife thinks, must think I'm crazy. I'm looking at these graphs and everything. And she's like, what are you doing over there? I'm like, She's playing games on her phone. I'm on my iPad checking out my cash flow. Um, but it maps all that out for me. And I, I take a look at these expenses that are coming in. Like there's no subscription that I get hit with by surprise that I don't know I'm paying because I'm always evaluating those. And I'm asking myself, is this adding value to my life? If, if the answer is no, it's out of the, it's out of the window. Um, and that helps to prevent, I think, some of this lifestyle creep where you just get used to having um, all these different subscription services to different things and um, you know, gym memberships you don't use and all this stuff. Like, I think if we're conscious about that decision and we realize that all money is, is something that we can exchange our life energy for. So I give my life energy, my time to a job that pays me money. Um, and we quantify the money we're spending on things in terms of the amount of time that it, that it costs us in our lives to get it. To then it makes that, yeah, yeah. that decision-making process is much more different than just a dollar number. Absolutely. And I, what I like to try to tell people is you first, like you said, in order to, to know where you're going, you have to know where you are. So once you look at your budget and you realize, you know, take your three month average or whatever it is, what do you need to live? And what is that little bit you need to live the lifestyle that you enjoy currently? From there, you can essentially do just like you said, pay yourself first. Yep. That's it. Take whatever that excess is, throw it into savings and it forces you to use what you've already allocated. For those who have out there who are not disciplined enough financially, you gotta kind of put yourself in that bubble. You have to force yourself in there. It was, there was a wonderful story, I think everybody knows it, about NASA, uh, I forgot what mission it was, but when all of a sudden they spent millions of dollars and the, the, uh, the oxygen system was failing, 
They literally dumped out a cardboard box to the engineers and they said, this oh, is okay. our Yeah, right? And so it's like, you solve it or they're all going to die. And they figured it out. So ultimately, as humans, we're, we're adaptable. That's what we do. We yep. have to be able to just adapt and then we get accustomed to, to, to what we say. I love, I love that point. It reminds me of a lesson that I got um, after about a year after I transitioned. Um, I was talking with one of the more senior people at work. We're talking about 401ks. I didn't know really what to do with a 401k. I just got one new to the civilian world. I didn't even know what percentage was okay, let alone like get the company match. I'm like, I, I think I filled out the form and I just put something in there and called it good. And, he, and I remember he said, you know, you should really max that thing out if you can. And I'm like, what does that mean? I think it was like 19,000 at the time. And I said, oh, okay. I, I guess I should max that out because I, I realized, you know, you get to deduct that from your taxable income. That's all, you know, taken out pre-tax, pay those taxes later. So I said, all right, I'm, I'm going to do that. Um, I got a little bit of a pay raise after my first year. And I said, I'm going to learn how to live on whatever I get after this thing is maxed out. So you do the math, you calculate the percentage that would equate to that 19,000. I think it's 19,500 now. And you have that come out of your paycheck. And then whatever that was, it was less than I got, honestly, as a captain. Um, and I said, I'm going to make this work. And as humans, we're adaptable creatures. We figure out ways to make it work. If we put those little self-constraints in there that are there for us to protect us from ourselves, um, we learn to figure out the rest and to make it happen. And I haven't looked back since. Max it out every year. Um, I call it max, max, relax. Max the 401k, max the Roth IRA, and then relax on the rest. But um, that strategy is also evolved. But I like that little... Expound on that. Just expound on that just a little bit. Let's say you know I'm not I'm not familiar with the the Roth IRA, traditional IRA. I'm not traditional. I'm not familiar with uh, the 401ks and how to max them out in in the whole you know company matching it matching after I transition. Can you just give me like a two uh, like a two to three minute spiel on you know the difference the differences between the both right and then also the advantages to doing that and advantages to maxing maxing them out. I know you kind of touched on a little bit about you know the uh, the taxable income, but can you kind of just expound on that a little bit more? Sure. Um, we'll start with so everything is organized by tax codes. Um, there are IRS tax codes. That, that's why these accounts exist in the way that they do. All it is is a structure for how they're treated with taxes. Retirement retirement accounts are broken into two buckets: pre-tax and post-tax. In your pre-tax bucket, you have things like 401ks. Those are employer-sponsored retirement accounts, similar to a TSP. They behave the same way. You also have a, a traditional IRA. That's an individual retirement account. That's for one person. They have them for themselves. Um, on the post-tax, so that means I've already received the money. I've paid Uncle Sam my dues on that money. It's mine to keep. Um, I could take that post-tax money and put it into vehicles such as a Roth IRA or a Roth 401k. Same difference in terms of employer-sponsored or individual. Um, the benefit is over time. So really, you're hedging against what you think your tax situation will be in the future when you draw this money off. Um, if you're a higher earner now, you will benefit from the pre-tax strategy because the government allows you to put up to the maximum contribution every year into that pre-tax retirement account. And it's not included on your um, adjusted gross income on your tax return. So that's the income that they use to determine how much taxes you pay. That number goes down because you're putting it aside and they want to reward savers. Um, another thing that would fall into that bucket is a health savings account. We don't have to go down that route, but those can be used for medical expenses, also a pre-tax contribution. 
in the post-tax scenario, um, you've already paid taxes on the money. So the benefit of that is you can invest that money as you choose. Um, so the, the name, the Roth IRA is the name of the account. The investments underneath can be any stocks, bonds, mutual funds, whatever you want. That money can grow over a period of decades. And then you can take it out completely tax-free after the age of 59 and a half. Um, I play both sides of the fence um, because I don't know what my tax situation is going to be. And um, I've made it a habit over the years of, of just making it a standard. If we talk about standards in the military, my standard is I max that pre-tax, I max that post-tax. And once I do that, I know my retirement buckets are checked for the year and I can move on to other things. And I love it, man. If, and if that, for anybody listening who felt like they may have been lost in that, that just kind of reinforces the importance of, of understanding finances. Financial literacy is extremely important because now as you go out and you start to make more money, very specifically with real estate or whatever, what the military cash flow is going to take you to, you have to understand how to start hedging yourself against taxes one way or another. And more importantly, Craig isn't thinking about now, he's thinking about the future. So when it is time for him to retire, how is that money going to be affected? You guys have to start to really picture the, the whole thing. It's a holistic approach. And it's kind of, I mean, right now you're covering all the secrets to successfully transition out of the military, right? We're covering everything. Just to kind of recap, you got tip one, trust yourself. Tip two, explain your value on plain English. Tip three, give yourself a financial cushion to provide you some time and opportunities. Tip four, evaluate your whole financial situation. And I love the finances are like a triage patient. That's wonderful. I'm stealing that. I'm stealing it. I'm using it. <laughs> using all your extra bonus money or any other additional income to just quickly throw into an investment vehicle. And then your retirement account strategy, the max, max, and relax. You maxed them out. Now you're sitting back and you're relaxing and you're focusing on your stuff. Stop. Nice. Hey, man, these are some serious, uh, some serious nuggets. All right. Now, tra now I'm transitioning. Right. So we got our financial foundation right uh, right now. You've given us some solid secrets to uh, transitioning out of the military. Right. So now um, you went and you, you bought a rental property. I mean, I know you have a primary resident and then you also bought a rental property. How did setting your financial foundation up first? How did that help you in getting that rental property? Well, I'll tell you, it helped me um, not only financially, but personally as well. Um, so the way I purchased that rental property was through money I had saved in my um, taxable brokerage account, standard investment. So we're not talking retirements. We're talking that that max max relax has already happened and, and, and anything after that just goes into the brokerage account um, and grows over time. So thankfully, the years 2015 to 2018 was a pretty good bull market run, right? So um, anybody felt like a genius investor because you just throw money at the market and it grows. Um, well, I thought to myself, I, how could I knock out a couple birds with a single stone, right, by adding another type of investment into my portfolio? I started getting into things like bigger pockets and, um, you know, reading Real Estate Investing um, by Scott Trench. Um, set for life, those things. I was getting into the books and I'm like, yeah, I think this is, um, you know, this is really something I want to do. Um, but I also had apprehension about the, the risk and getting into something new and scary. Uh, and I remember, um, you know, a realtor friend of mine was helping us out. We started looking at properties. And the reason we were looking at properties was also um, my wife's parents were living up north and we're going to move down here to be closer to us. So we said, hey, would they be comfortable? with living in a house that, that we purchase. Um, and that can kind of be 
like I said, a couple birds, one stone. They have a place to live. They can keep their assets for retirement and not have to have it all locked up into a house um, and also help kind of contribute a little bit to the growth of our financial foundation. They were, and they were gonna move down. So, but I was overwhelmed initially because um, the market that I was in for single family homes, 15, 1400 square feet, um, single floor, it was very investor heavy. And it was also very first time home buyer heavy. Um, so the first time home buyers are gonna, they're gonna buy emotionally and the investors are gonna buy quickly because they know what they're looking for right away. So we would like, something would come on the market and Charlotte was pretty hot as a, a real estate market and we wouldn't even get to see it and it'd be, there'd be under contract. And it's like, man, and I'm, I'm like a patient first time investor trying to really evaluate things and they're just going out the window. And what honestly happened, I was traveling for my consulting work. I was out of town when one came on the market, saw the pictures and everything. I'm like, all right, this looks pretty good. Um, and but the realtor's like, we got to go check this out today. And my wife is like, I'll go. I'm happy. I'm like in Missouri and like we're on the phone and I'm like, what do you think? And she's like, yeah, this, you know, this is the right one. And I'm like, do it. And we put an offer down like I sight unseen for me and I'm just my capital. Right. Um, so that's some trust in a marriage. Um, and that's how we got started with it. And, you know, I learned some things along the way. We did a little bit of rehab in the house, nothing major, some painting and touch up things, replacing some fans, little things just to make it nice and comfortable. Um, but it was enough for me to get my foot in the door with real estate without having to really go full bore. Um, because it does, it is a, an active investment. I, I, I don't think of real estate as my personal opinion as a passive investment um, because there's, you got to make decisions. It's not like stock market. We just put it in and watch it grow. Um, but some people like that control aspect of being able to touch and feel their investment and, and, and do stuff with it to improve it. Um, so it's just a different dynamic, but I've, I've enjoyed that process. And um, you know, it does give me a sense of, of comfort when I go over there that not only is it an investment of ours um, and in our future, but it's somewhere where someone from our family can live. Um, and we can all kind of contribute to each other's um, you know, continued success. All right, so we're gonna go ahead and take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Hey, make sure you go leave a five-star review on the podcast and then also go check out militarycashflow.com to get access to all the products we have. We have a bunch of great stuff on the website to include um, access to the Facebook group, access to a military cash flow calculator so you can analyze your deals. We have uh, courses, we have all of our social media. We just have a bunch of stuff on there, so go check that out and with that, Here's a word from our sponsors. You hit on a bunch of stuff there. One of the things that I must applaud you on is that you were able to make a, deci a decision and place an offer. Guys, as a, a real estate professional, I can tell you one of the most frustrating things is when a client decides to have that analysis paralysis or even just a delay and it takes you 24 to 48 hours just to review a property, the property is gone. The property is gone. I see it all the time. So, but you, you got yourself to a comfort level where you saw enough properties that you were now ready to just go at a snap decision. So that, that is extremely powerful there. And then how it's kind of like all contributing with, to the family, right? That's just a really smart and safe way to get started. So for those who are, you know, are a little bit nervous, you can take a play out of Craig's book, right? Find a way that you can kind of self-serve the family legacy and keep it all within the within within the home. So I like that. Hey, just gotta make sure you do that one right though. And sometimes <laughs> sometimes working with the family doesn't work doesn't work all uh, work out all too well. But uh, 
Yeah, it's a touchy thing though too. Like I'm not, you know, I'm not charging them an arm and a leg. They're they're covering the, the mortgage note, you know. So I'm certainly not uh, cash flow rich by this one property, but it, it is an additional asset that should life change and, and situations evolve as life always does. It's, some, it's another foothold we've already got there. Yeah. Um, and if, if life changes and we move on to something else, we got these two properties that we can decide we want to rent these out. Um, you know, and, and, and now we turn them into, you know, full blown kind of um, investment properties. So it's there. And it also, for me, it goes back to the, the diversification and risk management concept too, right? Um, not having too much of your proverbial eggs in one basket. Um, and the, also, the other benefit, I'm sure you guys talk about this a lot when it comes to real estate investing, is real estate is really the only way to leverage other people's money that they talk about. Um, and that, that sounds bad when I verbalize it to talk about it in a family context, um, but it is a reinvestment in, into the family. But when you talk about rental properties, um, that's one thing that the traditional stock market can do for you is leverage other people's money, which is them paying you rent in order to grow your own net worth. But even, um, go ahead. Even in a bigger sense, using other people's money as far as the bank's money, I'm sure you didn't pay for that house 100% cash. I'm sure you probably, sure, you know, yeah, yeah. So you, you, you know, you put maybe 20% down or something like that. And, or, or you maybe use the VA loan. I'm not sure. Well, I guess you can't really use a VA loan for non-residential residents, but um, however, however you purchased it, you know, you leverage someone else's money. Um, you leverage someone else's money. And, and, and what's really to, important to highlight there is you kind of hit the nail on the head. You've leveraged the bank's money, but you also are leveraging your family's money or the renter's money to cover that mortgage. So a lot of people will say, oh man, that loan is uh, to purchase the property. It's hard money. It's 9%. That's way too high. I'm not going to do it. Why do you care if the mortgage, if the mortgage is covered and you have cash flow? Why do you care what the interest rate of the loan is? Right? So right. I just, I just love that. That's how you essentially painted that picture. Yeah. That's it. It's just leveraging other money to acquire it and then leveraging mm -hmm. other people's money to pay it down. Before you know it, you'll have a free and clear asset providing your net worth or to do whatever you want in the end. Uh, so it's very, very plain black and white. Yeah. You're, you're, you're leveraging every advantage to real estate in general. I mean, you got leverage, you got um, appreciation through time. It's the home I assume is probably going to do a little bit of market appreciation by doing a little paint and a little renovation that you did. You got some forced appreciation in there as well. There's tax advantages, there's debt pay down, which you're alluding to right now. Your, your tenants are paying or your, your parents are paying, uh, the rent. Um, and then there's, there's also just leverage in general. So, um, yeah, that you're playing to all the advantages of real estate, which is, which is awesome. Yeah. That's great. Hey, so, so we talked about the entire gambit of everything. We talked about getting our fund transitioning out of the military uh, unexpectedly. Uh, we talked about, um, uh, getting our financial foundation set and right. Hit us with the tips real quick, Mike. Tip one, trust yourself. Tip two, explain your value in plain English. Tip three, give yourself that financial cushion to provide time and opportunity. And then tip four, evaluate your financial situation. So you got all the tips there. And then we also talked how we translated that to building and, and or buying other assets, right? And how that helped us to, to buy other assets. So wrapping it all up, if you had any advice to give to um, anyone starting out, any service member that's starting out and wants to do something, you know, something similar to what you're doing, uh, what advice would that be? That one key advice. I would focus on one's relationships. 
and the people that we, we have in our lives because um, the only, the, the primary way we're gonna acquire new knowledge and new skills and get that feedback, the dynamic feedback to our questions is through the relationships that we have with other people. Other people who have, who have walked a mile in these shoes, who know what they're talking about. And it's not something that just, we wake up one day and we have these relationships. They don't happen organically um, by people we, we pass at the bar or the grocery store. If we're deliberate and strategic about the way that we build our networks, we can achieve the goals that we set out for ourselves. We just gotta find the people that are connected to these things that we're interested in. Um, the people that are doing these types of deals or investing in these things or have gotten out of situations that we are in right now. Um, you know, and then in turn, when I think you start to turn the tide and start to accomplish some of these goals, reach your hand back and grab the next guy. Cause it's that chain that keeps the success going. Um, you know, and I guarantee you, if, if you're really want to learn something and you're willing and you're putting in the work, there are guys in there who are out there, guys and gals out there who have done the work who are going to be willing to help you. Um, just stay persistent, stay, you know, stay on those goals, write them down, um, track your progress, communicate your progress to your friends, find a, a tribe of folks that are all getting out to the same things that you're trying to get after, and you'll be well on your way. Um, so I, I think a lot of it, it comes down to the people and the relationships. Um, and, and, you know, none of us, going back to my, my Arnold Schwarzenegger rules of success, right? He's, there's a thing he says that there's no such thing as a self-made man. Um, we're all where we are because of the help of the people that help get us where we are. Um, so when we succeed, it's, it's our obligation to reach back and help the next person succeed. Um, so that, that would be the advice that I would give you. That's excellent. That's excellent. Nothing exists in isolation, right? So uh, that's awesome. So um, Craig, how can our, how can our audience members get in contact with you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm on LinkedIn um, by my name, Craig Corman's house. Uh, Instagram, I am K House, that's K H A U S. Um, Twitter by the same, and I guess Facebook, but may not be able to find me on Facebook. But I'm on all I'm on all the platforms. Not a lot of Corman's houses out there, so that's how you can find me. Excellent. Hey, so all those descriptions will be down below. We'll have everything there, um, so you can get in contact with Craig. Also, check out the show notes because they'll be there as well. Mm -hmm. um, if you are listening to this on a podcast, make sure you leave us a five-star review. If you're watching this on YouTube, make sure to hit that like, hit the subscribe, hit the notification bell so you can get all these dope-ass videos. Yeah, I said that. Um, and if you are um, new to real estate investing, if you're listening to this, make sure you uh, come join our Facebook group. So right now we're, we're pushing about 500 uh service members, uh, military members that are in, that are investing They're on the community. We're having some great conversations. Um, we're helping each other grow, build wealth and create cash flow, man. So that's what it's all about. Right. Um, other than that, I mean, Michael, you got anything? No, you, you dropped a lot of good information. Um, and it's just, these are, these aren't really secrets. We call them secrets, but these are just things you really have to keep in mind, especially during the transitioning period of the military. But in general, these are all really great, really great ideas. And uh, you're going to start hearing me use this, uh, 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 what do you call it, triage financing a lot. I'm about to use this all over the place. And for anybody else, though, uh, who is interested in finding a real estate agent in your local market that is investor savvy, please let us know. So we have a series of, inv of investor-friendly realtors that we've already grown a network with. 
And so we have that process that we can vet them so they know what you're talking about. So if you want to do like a delayed financing, a burr, a live-in house hack, or whatever the case may be, right? We can actually identify a realtor who understands what you're talking about. So let us know. And beyond that, let's go. And we do it for the free. Hey, Craig, again, thank you so much for coming on. You dropped a lot of uh, great nuggets, dropped a lot of wisdom for our, for our listeners out there. I uh, really, really appreciate you taking the time out and uh, kind of giving back. So thank you very much. Grateful to be here. Thanks for having me. All right. Hey, with that, this is Dan Wynn. And Mike Glassby. Signing off.